Janet Cofferney tells you, you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, with three lifelong Doctor Who fans, I'll introduce them to you shortly, discuss, enthuse, occasionally criticise a trio of products related to our favourite show. And here are my co-conspirators. Hello Davey. Hello Tom, it's really, really good to have you back. Awesome, I'm glad we're, I'm glad it's the three of us again. Kenny. Hello Kenny, ah, same old joke. <laughs> well, Great to have you back Tom, good to see you again. Kenny, I think Tom's just been time-scooped. What, just like in The Five Doctors? Yeah, exactly like what's happened in The Five Doctors. Oh my God. Oh well, he's gone, let's carry on anyway. Yeah, okay, well, just, yeah, he'll be fine, be all right. Yeah, we'll, we'll check in on him later, probably. Yeah, so it's, um, so it's, I suppose it's, yeah, unexpectedly, it's, it's the power of two again, so we'd probably just better talk about a couple of pseudo-historical stories or something, eh? Or why don't we sort of mix and match be the power of two, but also the power of three? We could right. discuss two stories, uh-huh. but one of the stories has actually got two parts with different titles, but it's still sort of the one story. I think that's an excellent idea. That's going to work really, really well. Yeah, why don't we start with the King's Demons? King's Demons, Excellent. Your Majesty seems in need of a doctor. Allow me to introduce Chameleon. Your work. Alas, modesty forbids such a claim. Chameleon is the tool of an earlier invader of Zeraphas, and instrumental in my escape from that benighted planet. This is your King John. Look again. Impressive. A weapon used by the invaders of Zerfas, a decoy, capable of infinite form or personality. Interesting. Dave, the King's Demons. Yes. That was 1983. What were you doing in 1983? 1983. I, um, I was in the, the full flush of being being a Doctor Who fan. I was 10 when season 20 went out. Tail end of primary six, I think. Fox Bar Primary in Paisley. Yeah, I Doctor Who books for, for birthday, dinner and tea. Yeah, what about yourself? Where were you? I was n- I wasn't quite nine at that point because it went out earlier in the year, mm-hmm. and I was at West Coast Primary in Canvas Lang, the former school of Hamish Wilson, her other Jamie. Yep, rest in peace. Yeah, I was a, a big Doctor Who fan as well. But here's my shock admission, Dave. Right. I never saw the King's Demons in first broadcast. Oh really? Why not? Cause. I think because Enlightenment had been on, I thought that was the season over, and I think we must have been out, you know, had things on those right. evenings, and I never saw them. Did you not get the Radio Times in your house then? Not always. Right. Nah, no, we, we always got it. Shall I read out what it says in TARDIS fan Yes, tell us, tell us a bit about we it. We haven't done that for a while, right? This one's torturous, even by TARDIS Wiki standards, I must say, so see how we go. The King's Demons was the sixth and final story of season 20 of Doctor Who. It introduced Chameleon, the first non-humanoid companion since K-9. So far, so good. Furthermore, it centred on a genuine historical figure and a significant event, King John and the signing of the Magna Carta, a formula which had been all but unseen since William Hartnell left the show. It also gave Peter Davison a chance to display his fencing skills. The Fifth Doctor became the third consecutive incarnation of the Doctor to have some skill with a blade. His third and fourth incarnations, having previously swashbuckled in the Sea Devils, the Mask of Mandragora and the Androids of Tara. Indeed, Demons provided a kind of rematch for the Doctor and the Master, echoing the earlier duel between the Third Doctor and the Master. It was the last televised story to feature the Doctor as swordsman until David Tennant's debut in 2005. 
the Doctor as Swordsman, oh yes. This is where there's obviously been a, a bit of editorialising. Narratively, it ends with an unusual one-way retrospective cliffhanger. That is, it's only visible if the Five Doctors is seen immediately after the King's Demons. At the conclusion of Demons, the Doctor promises to take his companions to the Eye of Orion. Since the Doctor often makes promises of future adventures at the end of stories, this doesn't appear to be a cliffhanger at all. I wish you could see Kenny's eye-rolling and sceptical face, listeners. It's only by seeing the Five Doctors that the audience realises he's kept a promise made in a previous story. Perhaps more... Right, and this is interesting... Perhaps more crucial is the notion that the master we see in the Five Doctors has been recalled to Gallifrey immediately after his 13th century defeat by the Fifth Doctor, a fact that once known can subtly change the viewer's perception of certain scenes in the Five Doctors, which I I would question, to be honest. I can't think of any... What do you think? I think that is a load of... (laughs) Boo <laughs> hockey. Yeah, it's I mean, dri- that is absolutely nonsensical. It yeah. does not make sense. Why does it? No, 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 yep. no, no. Yep. I'm not having that. It's rubbish. Tardis Wiki continues. For years, this connection was fairly obvious on home video, and this is funny choice of language here, because home video viewers were forced to buy a version of the Five Doctors and VHS with the two stories been bundled together. Yes, I, I remember walking into HMV or Girl Street in 1995, and they put a gun at my head and forced me to buy that VHS box. That out. happened to me too. Yeah. I think, to be honest, it probably would have been the Virgin Megastore on the Gale Street that I would have bought it from. Or no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I bought it in Forbidden Planet. I bought it in FP in Buchanan Street. I'm sure I did. I got mine in John Menzies and East Kilbride. Because I was doing Sundays and for, for Steve through the back at that point. Because I remember Kenny, Kenny, and I, Kenny and I having a conversation one, one of those Sundays. Anyway, following 2010's separate release of The King's Demons and DVD, the cliffhanger will likely escape more viewers' attention. Thanks to the dismal ratings for the first episode, this serial is, was, as a whole, was the lowest rated serial of the Fifth Doctor's run. It therefore contrasts with another two-parter, Back Orchid, which was the highest rated Davidson story. And that was the last bit I screenshotted because I was losing the will to live. <laughs> so, that's that's quick. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's when I watched The King's Demons the other day, I'd forgotten about that scene at the end when they all decide to go to the Eye of Orion. But I think everyone has that totally lodged in their head because of the five doctors so it wasn't yeah it's quite a weird bit of editorialising there from the folk at TARDIS fandom wiki yeah I'm saying I see, I never saw this on first broadcast right and it was only years later so, it must have been about 1990 I saw a pirate video of it ah right okay and I just remember thinking really really because they, um, they repeated it in 1984 I don't remember seeing the repeat either. That was, I think, video was the first time I actually right. had seen it. Because I remember, obviously, Twin Dilemma had been on, so Colin had started. I'm sure they repeated something else as well as the King's Demons that summer. The fact that Tom has just been time scooped has discombobulated me a little. Oh, so I'm a little, I'm a little bit off, off, off kilter for that. The thing I remember about the repeat of the King's Demons, did they repeat the Awakening? I can't remember. Yes, yeah, they, they did. Repeat. That's what it was. It was they, they repeated the Awakening because they, I'm sure it was they were shown as omnibus. Because I remember the um, cliffhanger in the Awakening sort of being robbed. Doctor! And all that. No, because I remember my dad saying, my dad scoffing, saying, What are they repeating that for? He's not the Doctor anymore. And, I, and me saying, Well, there's only been one story. It's fine. Tegan Turlow and the Fifth Doctor kept going for it. So, yeah, the King's Demons, did you, were you not, um, you're not impressed I'm, by it? I'm not a fan of Terence Dudley's writing. You actually find, you watch that first episode and you find there's just so much of that you can actually edit out and it doesn't matter. I found it to be padded, right. I found it to be laborious, and generally I didn't find the characters that interesting, and it's so blooming obvious who Sir Julius Stram is. Uh-huh. As soon as you see him, just think, Anthony Ainley, you can put on a ginger wig and a ginger beard, and a very, very bad French accent, but it is quite obvious, it is you! I think Davison 
he's fantastic as per. Uh, you've got Janet Fielding, she's having a good one. Mark Strickson suddenly, from being a really interesting character, is locked up. And pretty much that sums up a fair part of the rest of his time on Doctor yeah, Who, sadly. The thing, that, the thing that struck me with the, the regulars this time was, A, just the Doctor's hair is incredible. It's an absolute masterpiece. It makes Donald Trump... Hashtag Davison hair envy. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> It makes Donald Trumps look like a, you know, a, a quick number two with a, you know, by a, by a corner shop barber. You know, Davison's the, the the amount of work that obviously went into Davison's hair for that story was astonishing. It looks amazing. But you know, you're right. I was Mark Strickson. I think was never given what he deserved. It's such a shame. He's so under. He's probably one of the most underused regulars ever. I mean, as you say, like third, fourth story. As yep. a, you know, not, not maybe only second or third as a proper regular, and he's locked up and put himself. You know the the difference between how much is sort of packed into episode one and then how much of episode two is just standing around and it's, it's very uneven. I think it worked. It, I watched it in one go, so it kind of this time, so it worked. It worked kind of a bit more. The balance felt a little better. But the thing is, the thing is, it was one of those ones when one of those Tegan stories when you sort of think, right, why are you even there? Not because she doesn't contribute, because she just moans. She's just having a moan. You know, it's like, oh, it's cold. Oh, we're on the earth again. Oh, I, I want to go home. Oh, we're going to the Eye of Orion. Oh, but I thought we were going to go to your home. Oh, God, I don't want Chameleon to be here. Oh, come on, Janet. And as you say, but the thing is, oh, you're talking about, obviously, Davison here, Envy, that there's a cracking wig they gave Anthony Inley in this one. Slightly different from his usual. So I thought that he was quite dashing, and I, li- I liked the shot of him inside his, his own TARDIS when it was obvious that they'd just done some careful lighting of the regular set rather than painting it black like they did for, you know, um, Ultimate Four or, yeah, Planet Fire. I don't know, I quite... I don't mind it. I mean, it's one of these things... Because I've seen the Shakespeare play about King John and I know the history a bit better now than I did when I was a kid, I got a bit more out of it. I mean, I've, I've seen one of the... Because there's there's a few different versions of the Magna Carta that exist. Yep. And I saw one of them when I, when I was in Salisbury visiting my auntie and uncle last year. And I, don't, I don't mind it as a story. I think it's... um. Out of the three Davison two-parters, is it the weakest? Probably. But I, you know, I didn't mind it. And um, and as Tardis fandom wiki says, the sword fight is pretty cool. That's quite enjoyable. I liked the jousting bit. I mean, yes, we've seen how Game of Thrones do it on a budget when we've got the hound in the tournament against his brother. I mean, I think it, the, the location stuff looks great. It looks bloody freezing. It does, um, yeah, because you can see the condensation and all that dripping off the, the, the boy that was in loads of other things. I don't know his name, can't remember his name. The guy that gets knocked off his horse But by, he's got very 80s hair because yes, he's got highlights in it. I know, that was terrific. Yeah, the joust, I quite like the joust, but I mean, I remember, it's a, it's a brilliant image of the knight on horseback with you know riding in front of the TARDIS. That's nice, and it was nice to, you know, to have a sort of historical one because you know we'd had obviously Black Orchid and Visitation quite close together in the previous series, but it'd been a long before then. It'd been a long, long time since there'd been a proper sort of Earth historical. You know, you could, there was obviously a few Tom Baker stories that used trappings of vaguely Earth historical things, like stories like the Androids of Tara and the Reboss Operation or whatever. But you know, it's, it was it was nice to have a proper bit of history. I mean, I like the bit when the Doctor sort of says, you know, small-time villainy by his standards. I like the idea that this is the master and he's got Chameleon and he's just kind of warming up before he starts, you know, creating absolute havoc. Yeah, you mentioned Chameleon. Yes. Interesting idea when you've been told that there's this robot that's been built and it will probably be able to walk when you're told that it can be programmed to do all these incredible things. Yeah. And then you get there and all it does is break down. I I mean, I love Gerald Flood's voice. He's brilliant. Got mm. a wonderful, rich voice. Very mm. fruity, very plummy, very proper old school. Mm. And I think that's what makes Chameleon work. It's very much the voice, not the actual prop. Mm-hmm. 
What's your thoughts on him? Was he a bad idea? I think it was a brilliant idea, and it just shows they are the absolute lack of imagination and ability for lateral thinking that John Nathan Turner and Eric, Eric Sayward had. What they should have done with Chameleon, right, I believe that what happened was the man who designed the robot and did all the programming had been killed in a car crash. And, it, and I'm told it took a long time to program even basic sort of commands into it. But it, in this story, it works really well. And I remember sitting and watching The Five Doctors thinking, right, hang on, where's Chameleon? And I remember Warriors of the Deep thinking, where's Chameleon? And The Awakening thinking, where's Chameleon? And Frontios thinking, where's Chameleon? And then they eventually got back to him in Planet of Fire. And I thought, right, to me it was one of, it's one of the biggest misses of poten- the biggest wastes of potential in the whole series because all they needed at the start of each story was a scene with the robot sat in a chair and it turned into someone else. They could have got an actor in, they could have used Gerald Flood, they could have got... I'm sure John Percy would have been happy to come back for three episodes and play Chameleon, you know, because that's the sort of thing that they could have done. He could have looked like a previous doctor, he could have looked like a previous member of the TARDIS crew. It's to me, it was it was a shame that no one thought of that. We've got this robot; it doesn't work. What's the robot called? Chameleon. What is it, what can it do in the narrative? It can change shapes so it looks like other people. Damn, I can't think of a single way to actually use it. But then they would, they would have ended up probably with having to write for three TARDIS regulars, and they already, as we've said, they struggled with two. Because yep. Mark Strickson, God bless him, ends up getting locked up all the time. Yeah, and he's and fantastic. He's as you great. say, a waste of potential because he's. I think he's great. He's great with the comedy stuff. Yep, he's great he's, full stop. Yep. There's there's so many good stories that Big Finish have done sort of set right about that point, set during season 20. The Lady of Mercy, for example, when him and the the banter between him and Tegan is just off the charts. When when two really good actors are just given the chance to actually have something interesting to say. That's the thing, like the, the whole 1983-84 axis of Doctor Who, there was an awful lot going on, there was a lot of changes, there was a lot of questionable decisions about costume and, and whether or not actors should stay or not. And Chameleon, for me, is just a complete waste, was a completely wasted opportunity. What do you think? I, I agree with what you say. There is so much potential there to do something interesting. But I think if it had been the Doctor, one companion and Chameleon, that would have been great. Yeah. There would been so much potential there to use. And it's a great idea, the shape-changing robot, you could take them anywhere and again it'd almost be equivalent of a sonic screwdriver oh, quick I... we need to get out of here quick change into the leader of the vortac people yes quick chameleon yeah exactly they could have been sto- they could have used they could have chameleon impersonate other characters during a story to get them i mean there's all sorts there was a few um big finish did a few stories with them last year which were all right i thought they were okay john coolshaw who i love dearly was was fine he was good did, you know did a good job of the voice and all that i thought the stories were okay it wasn't the direction i personally would have taken them in but you know horses for courses really um... And we get an explanation as to why they never mention him again. Yeah. So the King's Demons, was it an unholy mess? (laughs) Or was it one that... uh, A holy terror. (laughs) Or was it... Yeah, Yeah, that could have been you. That should have been your line there, man. It's interesting that Terence Dudley wrote two of the Davison two-parters. I think fans that watched them at the time thought they were great, but nowadays they're not really held in very high I'm always surprised when people say they don't like Black Orchid in 1982 it was the best thing since sliced bread that's how it felt to me at the time King's Demons you know what I, I, I come down on the side of liking it to be honest you've got a flat landscape <laughs> left is no right is yes I'm slightly to the left a bit like my general politics <laughs> slightly to the left of centre yes so I'm, I'm veering slightly towards the right and I'm sure Tom would be too <laughs> if he Tom would be. I think is Tom? rocking the scale to oh the right oh my gosh I hope, I hope Tom's alright like kicking about the, you know, the death zone in Gallifrey if he even made it that far yeah he may not he may actually be trapped in interstitial time with Carolyn so who knows so we're going to move on now we're going to talk about another two part essentially pseudo-historical we're talking about the 2015 episodes 
the girl who died and the woman who lived. Okay, plan. We meet the boss man and we do the usual. Which is? Replace him. Father! To the primitive mind, advanced technology can seem like magic. And much traitor. I am very, very cross with you. I am very disappointed. I have taken human form to walk among you. Who are you, old man? Do you not recognize the sign of Odin? You are not Odin. And that is not Odin's sign. Oh, and you would know that how exactly. Have you met Odin? Do you know what Odin looks like? Yes, let's see what our lovely friends at TARDIS Fandom have to say about it. I didn't actually screenshot the woman who lived because I actually wanted to bite my own arm off so I could throw it at my monitor. So I've only brought with me the girl who died today. Okay. Because the girl who died was the fifth episode of series nine of Doctor Who. It was the 100th story of Doctor Who since its revival in 2005. This episode introduces a shielder. The story was notable for revealing the origins of the 12th Doctor's face. He had unknowingly taken on the likeness of Lobos Caecilius, a man whose life the 10th Doctor had saved. This marked the first time Doctor Who had given an explanation for the Doctor being played by an actor who had previously played a different role in the series. Colin Baker, who first portrayed the Time Lord Maxwell, later went on to portray the 6th Doctor. However, in this instance, it was never explained in-universe why the 6th Doctor had taken on Maxwell's appearance or if the likeness was deliberate. And I cannot take any more! Dave, let's talk what about... Um, I, I want to know what, they, what the other one said. Was it just as bad? I, I just did not... I, I just was so... Oh, I cannot handle it's this. It's the priorities. I do question the priorities. Yeah. Anyway. Here we go. We're talking Peter Capaldi. Yes. And, uh, the two I'm, Peters this week. Indeed. Where do you stand with this one, Dave? You've gone on record several times as saying you weren't a big fan <laughs> of many stories <clears throat> during Peter's <clears throat> first two seasons. <clears throat> How did this one sit for you? The interesting thing was, Ken, I, I realised I hadn't actually watched... When I was watching The Girl Who Died... I don't think I'd watched them since they went out, but I remember really enjoying The Girl Who Died when it went out. I remember being slightly uh, about the episodes that had gone out before it, but I enjoyed it because a lot of the, the stuff that previously sort of irritated me wasn't present. I liked The Doctor being a bit funnier and a bit lighter. I was struck by the difference because you know, I tried watching the, the joining in with the Zygon tweet along a few months ago and had to kind of give up on it because I really wasn't liking a lot of it but I was struck by how, how warm and likeable the Doctor was in this I, as someone who hasn't seen Game of Thrones I wasn't too excited about Maisie Williams being there I like the the obvious that people always talk about this I'm sure a couple of our respondents said as much um, I like the the Monty Python style I think it had to be a, deliver, a deliberate reference I think to Holy Grail you know that bit with um with Odin's face appearing in the clouds I thought that was great I, no I, I liked it a lot I enjoyed the the electric eels. Um, I was I was less enamoured with one, with one aspect of it, but we can talk about that together after. What did, so yeah. yeah, what did you think of the? the I loved it. Right, I good. really enjoyed it. I mean, at the time, I'd never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Right. And when I saw Maisie Williams was in it, I thought, oh, there's that wee girl from Game of Thrones. Yeah, because it was on the front the front cover of the Radio Times, I believe, said said as much. Doctor Who meets Game of Thrones. Yep. Which, at the time, yeah. I, d- I really didn't understand why, because I didn't realise just what a big deal Game of Thrones was, mm-hmm. and how big a part she was playing in the the ongoing story there. Yeah. And 
I was I was really surprised by how good she was because I thought she looks really young. She, obviously, she looks a lot younger than she actually is, mm-hmm. and I was really impressed with the fact she, here she is again. She's sort of a medieval type character. Yeah. And uh, thought, oh, here we go, because that's pretty much all I thought Game of Thrones was. Medieval right. world, people fighting with swords. Yeah, I, I remember like Game of Thrones was a big deal because quite a few of my colleagues at HMV were big fans of it. I remember Alan, who worked in the stockroom, because I was at Glasgow 4 at the time, I was out listening to the talking books in the in the stockroom. I remember everyone talking about it all the time. My, my boss, Paul, each day after a new episode went out, he would enthusiastically tell me what would, what was going on with, with no regard for spoilers whatsoever and I was just like I don't care I'm never going to watch it you just talk about it or you want it was it was massive but in a way it completely passed me by as I'm sure I've said already no it's it, and I suppose it was quite canny of a way like getting Maisie in the front of the Radio Times because it would have brought people in that maybe not might not have watched it ordinarily it's a bit of the John Nathan Turner bums and seats get a recognisable yes. face and bring them yes. in and of course there's further examples of this when you've got Donald Sumter shows up to play Rassilon later in the season right. which I never got the casting of until right. I realised oh he's in of Game of course. Thrones as well yeah. and then of course with Liam Cunningham in Cold War Matt's last season mm-hmm. and he of course is in Game of Thrones as right. well okay. so there's these faces right. think and these suddenly start to make sense to get a I bit mean, of a pull them in since we last recorded Diana Rigg has died and she was involved in Game of Thrones, wasn't she? And she was. Was that contempor- contemporaneous with her Doctor Who appearance? Would that have? Yes, that would have yeah. been around the same as well. Aye. Interesting. Aye, so I suppose in Game of Thrones, it's, it's, you're forever seeing headlines when it says Harry Potter actor involved, in, and you automatically think it's Daniel Radcliffe, but no, it's an actor who was in one of the films, and you quite often see Game Here's of Thrones. There's Natalia Tena. Game of Thrones star, and it's someone like Diana Rigg, and you think, no, she's not from Game she's it's Mrs. Peel or Tracy from OHMSS. It's, you know, she's done a million other things. It's, I, I'm, because I've never watched it, I'm a little bit resentful of it as a reference point for people. I feel, <laughs> hang on a minute. For me, it's a good idea. The False God is an idea that shows up so often in TV and film, yes. books and science fiction. Yes. And it's quite interesting to see the way it's been done here. The fact it's, it's alien technology helping them along the way. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the robot warriors? I thought they were great. Yeah, I thought they were fun. I remember having a few photographs saved on my phone to try and, if I was ever going to use them in any of my, my Beatles or take that combo Radio Times covers, and then I got, which I never got around to. No, I like it. I mean, I like the whole the, the Viking people being the, the the village under siege and them being harvested. And I thought the I thought they were fine. Yeah. The thing that I really enjoyed is the scene where the doctors going round and naming the Vikings. Yes. You, Noggin the Nog, ZZ Top. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Peter Capaldi's doctor at his best. Yeah, because he was much warmer and friendlier. It made you made you want to engage and watch this person as opposed to as I mentioned already, the Zygon episode just made me think, no, because he was so spiky and so awful and so horrible. I'm not I like I liked him a lot in these two stories. And then the interesting thing was over the course of the two episodes was how much foreshadowing there, there was for what ended up you know, the episodes at the end of the series, you know, because obviously Maisie came back in the season finale, which we've talked about earlier on. And, and, and an earlier episode so it was I it was it's interesting particularly the ending um, I mean, as you mentioned earlier the electric hill stuff is great it's the doctor using what he's got available and then when the Benny Hill theme shows yes. up just yes fantastic very silly we should talk about the we should talk, you know, we should talk about the doctor's face angle yes where do you where do you stand on that whole? I've got no problem with it. I think <laughs> I knew you were going to say. Of course that. I would. Of course <laughs> I would. Now I I quite like it. I think it's it's subtle and it sort of reminds that when this is this is the doctor who previously had Clara around saying you're there to remind me to care, whereas yes. th- this is where he's moved on and then he has that moment of realization as to just why he's got this face and he remembers and I think it's quite subtly done. I don't think it's it's not a 
smashing it. See, I I can I kind of thought that it was. I mean, it it was what seven years after the fires of Pompeii, and and it, I suppose it's it's an it's an indicator, I suppose, of how of Mr. Moffat's priorities, I suppose, compared to, you know, as far as incorporating continuity or using that sort of thing. I mean, I don't know. Is there such a thing as a casual viewer anymore? Would there have been a casual viewer who'd have been alienated? I mean, I remember, I remember some people going into absolute spasms of joy because there was clips of wee Davy. It was, I suppose, it was quite similar to when you saw the third Doctor's face behind that panel in Time Lash. It, it was. I just felt it wasn't something that ever needed addressed. It's the sort of thing if you do it once, you have to do it again. Really, you know, it's like it. To me, it kind of detracts. It draws attention to the wrong, the, the wrong sort of thing. It's like there's a on my other podcast. What's that, Dave? Tell us about it. It's the Earth 2 podcast. It's my, my friend Peter Watson and I taking a journey through the formative stages and developments of the DC Comics multiverse and also looking at the legacy of the DC Comics Golden Age characters through the Silver Age and Bronze Age. Interesting. And there's quite a lot of stuff that we, we talk about, which is called, especially further on, which is, you know, the, the idea of retroactive continuity. And this was this was a comic book style retcon. It's the sort of thing that a writer called Roy Thomas did all the time in, in the, the 70s and 80s. And he worked for Marvel and DC. And it's the sort of thing you might notice a couple of characters who were published at different times have different surnames. So you might draw them together and suggest they're related. I think whether or not you like that sort of thing, you either yes or no says a lot about how you, not necessarily good or bad, but about how you would maybe find revelations as to why the 12th Doctor had, you know, Kaikielis' Kuten for a bit of alliteration. I'm going to be really obscure, so if you're a comic fan, you'll get this. If you're a Doctor Who fan, you might not. There was a character called Robot Man who had a, an assistant whose surname was Grayson. So Roy Thomas retconned it that he was a relative of Dick Grayson, Batman's psychic Robin. And he sort of thought, right, well, if Robin had a living relative after his parents were killed at the circus, why did he go and live with Bruce Wayne? Why did he not go and live with his... You know, it's... it's Once you start doing these sort of continuity patches, they, they raise more questions than they answer. And... The, um, it's interesting when you're reading the, the, the wiki there and you touched on Colin Baker playing Maxwell in The Sixth Doctor. You know, a lot of people have pointed out the resemblance between the actor Donald G, who's in The Monster of Peladon, and Tom Baker. And I was I was always struck by how much Professor Clifford Jones looked like the Eighth Doctor. You know, so, so it's, you know, you could argue there is a precedent for this sort of thing. But I feel that if you're going to say it but with Capaldi, then I oh, don't know. We did get it with Lala. Romana nicking her the face. Yeah. Of a pre. Of, you know, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, so that's not, it's a not good completely point. new. No, that's that's. So a, get that one up your tardis no, wiki. No, I mean that's that. Yeah, you're right. That's an excellent point. And that was again, that was a conscious decision. And I think, I mean, it's interesting because it makes you think, like, right, on some subliminal level, did the Doctor, when he was regenerating from Matt Smith into the Twelfth Doctor, did he anticipate that this personality was going to need a bit of prompting? So did he subliminally choose Kelly's It's in, there's a point. You know, 20 years ago I would have loved that. It's just I think it's more of an indicator of me as I am now at this point in my life who gets irritated by that stuff rather than the actual thing itself. Now, tell me, am I right in thinking there's a scene in one of the Gallifrey series from Big Finish where Maxwell is in it, played by the six? That's by correct. Six, right. Is that what you're going to tell me? Yeah, that? they're going yeah. round when they're fighting off uh, Pandora's uh, control of Gallifrey and you've got Commander Maxwell radios in to I'm fending them off. Lord President, <laughs> and effectively along those lines. Right. But see, yes, we do. We Colin do get Max and his calling. I think That's he recorded it during another story hilarious. and just dropped it in, which is, I think, is lovely. It's a nice wee nod. I love that sort of thing. I yep. mean, our good friend Dave McNay and I, we always talk about, and we'll get to the, the woman who lived in a moment. Dave McNay and I always talk about the. I don't know if you remember this, Kenny. I can't remember. I think it was in DWB or something. It was an article which was talking about rumored spoilers for 
how the Fifth Doctor into the Sixth Doctor regeneration was going to be handled. Mm-hmm. And it was it was the line. There's two lines. The first one is um, the best bit. The twin dilemma is when the Cybermat explodes, and the Doctor stumbles into Maxill, who's still recovering from the Daleks' blast, and the bodies well fuse. And this was a bit of supposedly informed speculation from someone at the time that this was how they were going to handle it. And it's it's interesting that I like that idea of maybe if they had gone back to Gallifrey for the Fifth Doctor's final story, and that's how they'd done it, you know, in a similar way to the Master taking over Tremast, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's it's fascinating to think though, just to go on a slight tangent, that um, I know that that Mr. Capaldi sort of said that because he he'd been in the Fires of Pompeii that he probably thought he wouldn't have a chance of playing the Doctor and we all know that it was Colin's role in Ark of Infinity that, that got him the job as Peter Davison's replacement it's yep. fascinating how it all all these things tie together in yeah. different ways all these strands that bind yes as, uh, yeah. as we are told in Megalos yeah but I suppose the precedent was set in the 60s, wasn't it, with actors playing different roles? Yeah, because the Doctor's got that line in Dalek Master Plan when he says t- to the guy, didn't I meet you in a marketplace and blah blah because it's the same actor that was in the crusade. But we never, they never explained why Stephen Taylor looked so much like Morton Dell. Indeed. <laughs> or why Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart looked like Brett Vion. Yeah, we could also throw in the fact that Lexa looked just like Barbara Wright. Yes, Harry Sullivan's uncle. Yeah, worked in the, the Merchant Navy. Yes, on the SS Bernice. <laughs> yeah. Although we did get the reference, suppose, with Martha Jones and yeah, her cousin see, Adiola. You see, yeah, I mean, I thought that at the time was was on the, the OK side of Torturous. It wasn't too bad. But, I mean, it's like, when you look at people like Bernard Kay or John Abagnari, if that's how you pronounce it, I apologise, John, or David Collings and Michael Sheard, you know, there's quite a lot. There's history in Doctor Who of the same actors turning up quite, you know, now and again. So it's kind of... It is what it is, and the th- I suppose the only thing that troubles me is that after this early in season nine, when the Doctor has this reminder that there was still a few episodes where he, where he was a wee bit sort of on the, na- the not the nasty side, that's the wrong word, on the more sort of spiky sort of side. Purple, colour of death. This life force is opening a portal. To my new life. Or to hell. Goodbye, Doctor. You are going nowhere. Doors work both ways. They let me glide, and they let the enemy in. What's that? What's happening? What are those things? Spaceships. Oh, they will be. They're coming through the rift. Actualizing in this plane of reality. You said you were the last of the Leonians. We were meant to escape. I quite like the fact that in this season we've got episode titles that are reverses for the two-part stories. So we're going from the girl who died to the woman who lived. We've got the sorcerer's apprentice, the witch is familiar, that sort of stuff. The Zygon invasion, the Zygon inversion. Yeah. Yeah, I Some of my best Radio Times profile picture work that series. I remember being really annoyed at the amount of time and effort that went into <laughs> the the covers versus how much I actually liked the stories. What about, um, is it not Under the Lake and Before the Flood? That's it, yep. yeah. Yeah. That sort of stuff. I quite liked yeah, quite no, it was, that sort yeah, of thing. It was a nice idea. It was clever. This episode, actually, I did not enjoy as much as the previous, oh, as really? the previous one. Interesting. I found it's an awful lot more, when I say it, it's a lot more talky, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Right. I think there just seems to be an awful lot of info dumping going on throughout an exposition. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're told about the fact that a shoulder's gone through all this, and she's lived all these different lives. Mm. But when we actually get to the episode... Yeah, we sort of get brief glimpses, but not very much actually in the way of being shown. You think surely it wouldn't have taken much to dress her up, you know, oh. raid the old BBC props cupboard yeah. for costumes and things like that. But I mean, I love the dynamic between the pair of them. I think it's great. I, I think they're they're quite a nice partnership. Yeah, I remember thinking, is she going to hang around? Is she going to be like you know a regular 
companion? Is she going to be in it for the rest of the series? Because Clara's only in that this episode for that one scene at the end. Yep. The, you're right. The dynamic between them does work very well. I th- I I had a similar sort of thought about the level of info dump, you know, telling rather than showing. It's a problem I have with a few episodes of this era that instead of action or plot or incident, we have long bits of exposition and speech. I find that the Zygon episodes just fall apart for me because of that. Because of this, instead of a, an exciting chase with a Loch Ness monster, we get ten minutes of speeching, speechifying, which must have taken Mr. Capaldi ages to learn. I'm a bit more positive about this one, I think, than you are. But anyway, you can... I think there's there's some great stuff in there. I think that. Rufus Hound's turn is fantastic. Yeah, I think he absolutely, he comes in and he absolutely steals it. I mean, we're talking pretty much, if he'd gone one step higher, he'd have been Rick Mail as Lord Flashheart. He yeah. could have very much, it could have gone that way. But I think he gives Sam an awful lot of heart and passion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think he's, he's very, very likable. Yeah. Very, very straight, you know, very quickly. I like, think, yeah, yeah I, like, I like the scene where, you know, the execution scene when they're, him and the Doctor are sort of firing jokes back and forth at each other. Or, you know, punchlines and stuff. That was very funny. Because I, I mean, the only thing I really think of—I know he's done a lot of stage work and stuff. I tend to just think of him as the as the spare wheel from Celebrity Juice. So it was great to actually see what he's capable of, and you know, he, of course, he's doing the monks now for Big Finish, and he's been every one of those that I've heard. He's been terrific. So yeah, good on him. See, I never liked Celebrity Juice. I thought he was the only watchable thing in it. It's it's an it's you know it's a game of two halves very much. So it's interesting the the doctor sort of facing up to the consequences of what he did in the story beforehand and all that which i did enjoy i yeah. do like that stuff but i just think when it gets towards the end and like oh here's mr space lion guy yeah i, oh. I was a bit confused by what was going on with that I, I kind of then when they opened up a hole in the sky and i was sort of like right oh i wasn't paying attention for a minute i don't know what's going on but i'm not going to rewind it <laughs> <laughs> okay but again this was another one I hadn't seen since it went out and I was just I was struck by this time again it was one I, I, I remembered enjoying at the time I was very up and down with series 9 whatever you want to call it but I remember liking these ones the, the Radio Times covers for these two that I did didn't have a lot of Maybe it was because I didn't put too much work into them. Explain your Radio Times covers for well, those who don't know. Yeah, them. I mean, I've been doing this for, for ages now. I've been doing it since David Tennant's last series. I would create an image, basically make up a false Radio Times cover to add as my profile picture on the various social medias for that week's Doctor Who episode. I think the first one I did it for properly was Planet of the Ood, I think, with a couple of generic things before that. And over the years, it's kind of built up to getting various friends and family involved. I built props, got, you know, photographed other people... Titan Comics and Big Finish cover artist Will Brooks did one for me this year, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. Clang. So um yeah, it's become a, a almost a cottage industry. Like a friend of mine recently finished an art degree and he was telling me that he actually talked about what he did in my Radio Times covers as being a, a consistent motivator for him when he was doing all these stuff. So I was like, oh, cheers, Chris. You know, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Add me on add me on Facebook, anyone, and you can you can see them. Back the, to the story. Yeah, I think the the change of. Just going from a shielder to calling herself me, I just I find that really hard to buy into. And I mean, yes, I can understand she's lived a lot of lives, and she's been various different people throughout those. Mm. Um, the question of identity is one that's always haunted me. Whoever I decide to be depends on who is with me. To quote Pet Shop Boys, the fact that she's sort of losing the fact that she was a shielder and then suddenly calls I am me. I just I, I didn't I didn't enjoy that. Yeah, I thought I can't say I can't say I enjoyed it. I didn't it was I didn't really have a problem with it. I thought I, the bit when the doctor called her a shielder and she didn't respond to it and she said, Why are you calling me that was a fascinating idea because it gave you the idea just gave you the sense of how long she had been alive. Because we all 
you know, we all sort of think of immortality as being, you know, everybody wants to live forever, but, you know, given the state of the world at the minute, I personally don't. I'm also reminded of a really good line that Paul McGann has in the movie The Queen of the Damned when he says, I'm too old to live forever. That's probably where I am at the moment. Kenny I'm, wants to interject here. Yeah, I'm also reminded of a line, immortality is a curse, not a blessing, from The Five Doctors. Of course. The Five Doctors? Oh, God, I've forgotten all about Tom. Oh, I'm sure he's fine are in you okay? the dead zone. Yeah. Tom, are you okay? Great, yeah. I heard that, yeah. Did you hear that, yeah? I think yeah? so. It sounded like, yeah. It sounded like he was running away from something. I'm not sure. I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm intrigued by the fact that it's a Capaldi, it's Capaldi stories so we're talking about. We're on slightly different sides of the fence. Yes, me, I was thinking Me that. veering towards the positive. That's quite funny. Yeah. There's great performances. The three of them are great. The three leads are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they're very engaging. But I just find that overall... I don't think there was enough plot to fill it out for the 45 minutes. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, it's the it's I suppose it's it's the idea of the driver for it is I suppose the the vaguely sort of philosophical conceptual idea of what if someone did end up living forever and the doctor met them again and so is that enough to justify a full story? Don't know. It would make a very very good short trip. I'm sure of that. Definitely. Dropping in at various times. I think because it's we get a linear sequence of events. If it had been told with the doctor dropping in and seeing her, yes. If it had been maybe shorter, yes. You know, like here's five minutes here, here's fifteen yes. minutes there, yeah, no, that's, that's, ten that's minutes a good there, idea. and that's then a good point. Yeah. That, it might have worked better for me that way. Mm. But I think it's I say show don't tell. Right. So Kenny put out a late night request for your thoughts or listeners' thoughts or anyone's thoughts on the stories that we're talking about today. So we're going to go through a few of those now. Dave, why don't you tell us one to start with? <laughs> I think I will, Ken. Badger Leopard says the king's demon's not bad just a little rushed the girl who died stroked the woman who lived might have worked the returning character Captain Jack would have been good and he did get referenced obviously mm-hmm. it was interesting that they did hold them in balance because obviously you got the sense that, you know we know how Jack's life has played out to an extent so it was interesting that me that her life was quite different right the next one is from at Andrew Store 5 who says I love King's Demons absolutely bonkers more the meddling monk style interesting the sword fight in my next panto will be heavily based on the Doctor Master Clash and Girl Who Died, Woman Who Lived. I struggled to enjoy these, not keen on Ashida, and felt very disjointed. It might have benefited being non-consecutive. That's a fair point, actually. Yeah. That's interesting. Aha! Our Melvin Pena. God bless you, Melvin. Melvin says, as far as the King's Demons goes, I love Chameleon unreservedly, watching a moderately functional robot play a lute and sing medieval military ballads, exactly what I want from Doctor Who. Is worth the price of admission alone, and for the Arya Stark two-parter, is that what she's called in, yeah, in Game of Thrones? Yeah. Okay. I'm all about the model. Arya did a terrific job as a shielder, a shielder stroke me, showing Capaldi's doctor that kindness too must be tempered and, judi- and judicious. And Rufus Hound is just brilliant. Thanks, Melvin. Yep. I've got a few here as well, and um, here's one from Walter Dunlop. Hello, Walter. The well, King's Demon. I've not seen Walter for years. Ah, Walter's, Hi, Walter. Walter's down in that London with his good wife, Louisa. Walter Dunlop says, The King's Demons took me years to realise Turlow occasionally speaks in couplets. I'm not sure if he does it all the time, but his final exit is a wonderfully hammy, getting into it delivery of, I've had just about enough <laughs> of you, whoever you are, so don't push me too far. Oh yeah, Turlow's great. Yeah, he's, um, like, um, he's so good in that story. You can tell it's like, oh God, can we just go home? I've had enough. <laughs> yeah. um, when I did say what your thoughts on these three episodes one i like more than the other two says john porter right neil matthew says if the king's demons had been a tenth doctor story with tenants mockney substituting for michael kane it could have been called 
get Magna Carta. <laughs> That's worthy of you. <laughs> out. <laughs> From DWSSG01, King's Demon's Mixed Bag, Nice Location Filming, Girl Who Lived, a bit Monty Python, but the Meyer are a great design. Yep, they look like they've got bends in their head, but yeah, they do look good. And Women Who Lived, like this one, great period romp. Leandro, a bit obvious. Yep, don't disagree with that. Here's one from Heather Challens. She says, I've not seen them since it originally aired, but I liked the confrontation of the Doctor's best and worst traits embodied by a shoulder. Also, that's me good, sucks really, as a name. That's a really good point as well. Yeah, kind of holding a mirror up to him and maybe making him do some reflecting. Yep. Then he goes on to be really narky in the next story. Anyway. Yep. Um, Tempest Fugit says, The woman who lived is underrated AF, which I think probably means a fact. And I love the small character moments between the Doctor and me. I wish the episode focused more on the issues of immortality and the time period, and I'd remove the alien lions. I enjoyed the whimsical bits of the episode, though. Yep, that's pretty much what we would agree with. Luke Foster says, There's some nice elements to the King's Demons, but overall, I'm not a huge fan of it, due to it having pretty much no overall plot. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, I suppose it's... yeah. One final one. I asked for some thoughts on the King's Demons, the girl who died and the woman who lived, and Al Hain replied, Good guff cack. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. Kenny, the, the thought occurs. Yes, Dave. What's that? Um, do, do you have a do you have a, ideally related to perhaps to one of the stories we've talked about? Do you, do you have a joke for us this week? No. Oh, okay. Disappointing. Oh well. Better luck next time. Well, I think on that note, um, I think we've uh, we'd better actually get ourselves off to the death zone, Dave. And yeah, we'd better to. we'd better nip off in the TARDIS and go and see if we can find our other selves and try and res- get get them all together to rescue Tom. Yeah, because... What an absolute nightmare. I know, great chunks of her past detaching themselves like melting icebergs. A man yeah. is the sum of his memories. Yeah, and yeah. Tom is being whittled away piece by piece. Absolutely. Or, sorry, is it whittled? I, thought, I always thought it was whittled and he was peeing himself <laughs> when it was small, but there we go. Tom being whittled away piece by piece. <laughs> whittled away, yes. Maybe that's Poppy and he's having to clear up after her. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, we better go off and rescue Tom. So, listeners, thank you for joining us. We will see you again, possibly as the power of two, possibly as the power of three. So you can find us on Facebook, we're on Twitter, at Power of Three Pod, Pod. and you can find our website too. Where you can find previous episodes, and if you go on Facebook, please remember to leave some comments and let us know how much you've enjoyed these episodes, even though Tom has been taken away from us. Sadly, but yeah, we, we're off. To, we're gonna we're gonna climb into the TARDIS now and go and rescue him. So hopefully we'll be back next time. Take care, everyone. Yep. And to play us out as we depart, we're going to have a little bit of music from a member of royalty, I think, perhaps. Oh, lovely. We sing in praise of Total War against the Saracen. We are To free the tomb of Christ our Lord, we'll put the known world to the sword.